Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Stay Focused. My name is Pastor Jay Morgan. I'm the director of the Appalachia Prayer Center Ministries, and I'm your host this evening. I'm really excited about what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the message of the gospel of Jesus. Now, I, um, I think that maybe when I say that, many of us automatically assume that you know what I'm going to say, and I want to encourage you to hear me out all the way, um, because I think that there's some misunderstanding in our world today concerning the gospel of Jesus. When I ask people a simple question, what, what is a Christian? I've, I've done this for many years. I've been a pastor for 30 years, and I ask people often, what is a Christian? And I, and I get dozens of different types of responses. Some, I would say, is very accurate, and some is just really, when you, when you examine Scripture and what the Bible tells us uh, about what it is to be a Christian, some responses are just really out there. They're, they're not scripturally accurate. So today, I want to give you a framework to understand what it means to be a Christian. I want to talk to you about the message of the gospel of Jesus. The word gospel means good news. Jesus is good news. And I want to explain to you why that you need good news in your life. Now today, it's for two groups of people. One, it's for Christians. It's for believers. Those who say they're following Jesus, say that Jesus is their Lord. I think that today is going to be real useful for you for two reasons. One, it's going to give you an opportunity to examine yourself. Uh, Paul tells us that in, 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 in Scripture that we should examine ourselves to see if we pass the test of faith, to see if Jesus is truly amongst us, to see if Jesus is truly our Lord. So this, as I teach today, this is going to give you an opportunity to examine yourself and as a believer. And the second reason this is going to benefit you as, as a believer is it's going to give you a framework to talk about Jesus with other people. It's going to give you a framework to explain the gospel. So today is good for believers. The second group of people is good for are those who would not call themselves a Christian. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you, you have a lot of questions. Maybe you doubt. Maybe you even doubt there is a God. Maybe even you doubt that Jesus is the only way to God. Uh, some, some believe that Jesus is who he said he was, but you're just reluctant. You, you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus yet. I, I encourage you to listen to me carefully tonight as I talk to you about the message of the gospel. I, I'm going to build tonight's talk around four words. And I, I share the gospel um, a lot. When I preach, I, I preach around the, the, the gospel. I preach, I preach uh, uh, many things as a pastor, but when I'm sharing the gospel, I use these four words. And then also, every week as we gather at the Lord's table, I, I have people examine their hearts, and I, I do a summary of these four words, a summary of what I want to talk about tonight, every, every, nearly every week of my life. So listen, listen carefully. The first word that we're going to focus on tonight is the word creation. The Bible tells us that God created everything. God created the world as it should be. Uh, Colossians 1.16 tells us all things were created by Jesus for Jesus. Now we understand that Jesus was, was, uh, is, is part of God. He is the, and he is the visible part of God. So when I say that God created the earth, I say that Jesus created the earth, I'm saying the same thing. All things were created by Jesus for Jesus. Now, the, the writer of the book of Psalms, 
was examining creation and he said, Lord, when I look at the heavens and the earth, I see how glorious everything is. Then I look at man and I say, what is man that you'd be mindful of us? When I look at the vastness of heaven, when I look at the earth, and yet you love us is, is what the scripture is saying. Why would you love us? So, so if everything was created by God, then humans, you and I, we were created by Jesus for Jesus. I think it's really important to understand that. If you're looking for meaning in life, you wonder what is the point of life, you're created by Jesus, for Jesus. That is the foundation of everything that, that we understand. And then when God created man, um, Adam and Eve, mankind, he placed them in the garden and he gave them a job to do. Now notice what you, you, you had in the garden. You had things as they should be. Uh, the earth was created and things function as it should function. Um, in the garden, humanity enjoyed a close relationship with God. God walked with man in the evening. The humans enjoyed companionship with each other. God saw that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone and he created Eve. And, and so there was more than one. So they had this unity with God. Then they had this community with each other. And then they had a meaningful purpose. They, they partnered with the Lord in caring for the earth. And he, and he gave mankind the earth to, to, to care for, to, to tend to. And so when you look at all that, you say, God, why would you do that for us? Well, the, the Bible tells us the humans are made in the image of God. So actually, in, in, in one scripture in Luke, actually says that Adam was the son of God. So God created humans because he wanted a family. And he, he wanted a family to share eternity with. So you, you need to understand, so crucial, if you're really going to understand what a Christian is, you have to understand why you were even made. Often, we don't go back. We don't, we don't set the story up in the context that God desires family. He desires an intimate connection with humans. That's why he made us. And he made us, and he, we had unity with God. And we had this wonderful community with, with other humans, and we had meaningful purpose, mission with God. But then the second word I want to talk to is the word separation. Now, Scripture teaches us that God's enemy, Satan, the devil, tempted Adam and Eve. I'm not going to get into all of the intricate details of what happened in the Garden of Eden, but here's what I will say that the, that the devil did is he began to place doubts concerning God in Adam and Eve's mind. He was saying, God is, God's holding good from you. The Bible says they were tempted uh, to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So basically the devil was saying, you should get to decide what's right and wrong, not God. God is withholding good from you. Because God had told them not to eat of the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil because the day that it would do it, they, they would die. So God warned them about this. And many people will say, well, why, why was there even an option for that? Why, why would that even be? Why did God even create that option? Because I believe more than anything, God wanted to experience love and connection with people. And in order to ex truly experience love, the person has to have a choice to walk away. Like, if you have to love me, is, is it really love? 
If you really think about it, I think you'll agree with me that love requires a choice. Think carefully about that. So there was a choice that eating of the knowledge of the tree, the, the fruit of the knowledge of the tree, tree of, of good and evil, was more than just a test. It was a choice of whether or not they would trust the goodness of God. And see, I, I found that the devil, he really hasn't come up with a new lie. He, he still challenges us. He, he tells us, you, you should get to do what you want. You should get to make the decisions you want. You know, God doesn't have good for you. God doesn't know what's good. You know best for you. And our, our culture, our society, man, we get those messages every day that you should just decide what you want to do. Now, am I saying that other people should decide for you? No, but I am saying that God knows best. If God made us and God created us for a certain purpose, we're only useful. We're only fulfilled. We're only right in life when we're living for what we are created for. Does this make sense? Now, so the enemy told them what they really needed. The devil told them what they really needed was found apart from God. And he seduced them. And scripture says that when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they went their own way away from God, that death entered into their life. Now, they didn't physically die that day, but God had warned them, the day you eat of this, you will surely die. They didn't physically die that day. They, Adam went on to live a long time. They had children. A lot of things happened in their life, but they experienced spiritual death. They were separated from God. The God part of them was dead. Now, here's the thing. Scripture tells us that this death has spread to every single one of us. Every single one of us on earth that went our way apart from God. Many people say, man, if that Adam and Eve hadn't have done this, you know, people who believe the, the, the story of creation, they say, if Adam and Eve hadn't messed it up, but here's my question for you. I mean, how many times have you bit the apple? How many times have you went your way, your own way, apart from God? Think about it. The book of Isaiah tells us that all we like sheep have gone astray, each one to our own way. So, see, you were created to live your life as God's child, and you were created to do this in a very certain way. But we go our own way away from the will of God. Now, here's something about the will of God. Is that the will of God is good. What God asks of us, even at times, if it's difficult even, it's good. Jesus told us that his very words lead to life. His very words. So what God tells us is for our good. See, God warned and God continues to warn that the wages of sin is death. And that death, while it came into humanity through Adam and Eve, it has gone to all of us because all of us have sinned and we all have separated ourselves from God. Now think about this. You were created to have relationship with God, but our sin, our disobedience to God pulls us away from God and brings spiritual death. The book of Ephesians tells us that we were dead in our sins. It's not just that we're sick. It's not just that we're doing okay and Jesus can make our life a little better. No, every single one of us have a serious spiritual problem. We are created as children of God, but we are dead in our sins. So if we die in our spiritual dead state, we will spend eternity separated from God. 
Now that's a very strong statement. That's what we call hell. That's eternal separation from God. Now God didn't create you for that and God didn't create hell for you. Scripture tells us that, that, that hell was created for the devil and his angels. But what we witnessed was God's enemy, Satan, tricking God's family, God's children into disobeying, separating themselves from God, and, and then will ultimately share his fate, which is an eternal separation from God in hell. But here is the good news of the gospel. It's good news. Now sin, death, Hell is the bad news, it's a, but it's a very real reality that we all live in. That's the bad news of life. But the good news is, Jesus came to redeem us. The scripture in Isaiah says that each one of us, like sheep we've gone astray, each one to our own way, but God has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. So the third word I want to talk about is the word redemption. We have creation, separation. Third is redemption. See, God saw man in his fallen state, and through Jesus, he took on flesh and made a way for all of us to be reunited with him. That's, that's, that's scripture. Let me talk about Jesus for just, a, for just a minute. Why Jesus is so important to the equation. See, the importance of Jesus is threefold. Often when people talk about Jesus, they just skip straight to his, his death and resurrection. But I want to first talk about his life. See, while Adam was so disobedient to God, Jesus lived in complete obedience to God. He taught us how to live as children of God. He taught us the relationship we could have with God as a father. Just examine Jesus' life and the intimate connection he had with the Father. He taught us the power of God that, that, that we could have through a relationship with God. He taught us how to interact with people. He taught us God's will. Jesus, I said a moment ago, I said again, Jesus said, my very words lead to life. I want you to think about it. In one place, Jesus said, uh, there's a town that wanted him to stay. He said, I have to, go preach to, I have to go preach to other towns because this was why I was sent. Jesus was sent. Tell us what God desires from us. Scripture tells us that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus uh, came to teach us the will of God. And through his life, through the example of his life, and through the teachings that he taught and spoke, we know what God desires from us. Jesus would say that anyone who listens to me then builds his life um, and listens to me and obeys. It's like a man who builds his life on firm foundation, a solid rock. But those who listen to me and disobey and just do what they want, well, you're building your life on sinking sand. Now, often we talk about that to say, well, if you believe in Jesus, you're building your, your life on, on the rock. Honestly, it's more than saying you believe. Jesus said, if you obey, if you listen to what I'm saying. Now, now why is it so important to, to Jesus' teaching so important. Why, uh, why is obedience so important? Well, it's important because he teaches us the life we were created for. Jesus taught us the will of the Father. He taught us how to live as a true, obedient sons and daughters of God. 
Now, Jesus is very important because Scripture teaches us that Jesus was in a unique position of of being God, but yet taking on flesh. So he was the only one who could mediate or bridge the gap between God and humanity. And this is really one of the things that separates Christianity from all other religions, and that we firmly believe that God didn't just have a prophet, but that God took on flesh and came to us and taught us his will. But here's the the, the truth. No matter how much we desire to do the will of God, we're already spiritually dead. We've already sinned. And our sin has brought spiritual death. And so Jesus absorbed into his body the penalty of our sins. He died in our place. I want you to think about the word forgiveness. When, to forgive someone, let me give you an example. Let's say that you stole $1,000 from me. And I know it's you, and I confront you with it. And I say, you stole this $1,000 from me. But I'm going to forgive you of that debt. See, forgiveness is actually a, it's like an accounting term. It means to erase a debt. So we had a debt. The wages of sin is death. Death was our debt. But now, if I look at you and say, you stole this $1,000 from me, but I forgive you that. What am I doing? While I'm erasing the debt on your behalf, actually, I'm absorbing the cost of your action. Think about it. When God forgave us, He literally absorbed the cost of our actions. He took it into His body, and that's why He can be our substitute, because He literally paid the debt for us. Death is... It's a horrid debt. But because Jesus came and lived and he died, he stood in our place. So Jesus came to teach us the will of God, but no effort on our part can help us live the will of God. So Jesus, because we're spiritually dead, so Jesus took our death into his body, paid the penalty of our sin, but Jesus didn't just die. Jesus defeated death, hell, in the grave, so it gives him the right and the power to bring us back to life. He stripped death of its power, and that's why that when we believe on Jesus, we become born again. We are brought to new life. So that part of us that is dead is reborn. We're born again as children of God, and Scripture says, and that is what you are. If your faith is in Jesus, to to them who believed in him, to them he gives a right to become sons and daughters of God. So Jesus' life taught us the will of God. His death absorbed the, the penalty of our sins, but his resurrection can bring us back to life. So while the first word was creation, we were created and the world was created good and sin brought separation, And Jesus came to bring redemption. The word redeem actually means to bring back, to buy back. Jesus bought us back from death, sin, the devil who had a right to us because of our sin. Jesus bought us back and he could bring us to God. That brings me to the fourth word and the most important word and the word I really want to hone in on tonight. And that is the word decision. It's not enough to just know this to be true. You might believe this is true. 
But can I tell you that that's not enough? But that you actually have to lay your life down and turn back to God. They asked uh, the first Christians, what what must we do? And they said, you must repent and be baptized. To repent means to actually turn. Sometimes we think the word repent just means saying we're sorry first. Now, should we have sorrow? Absolutely. But see, the Bible tells us that godly sorrow will bring repentance. That godly sorrow should cause us to turn. Remember, all we like sheep have gone astray. We are created to live one way. We've went our own way. But to come back to God literally means to turn from your way and to Follow Jesus. Remember, I taught you, Jesus taught us what the will of God was. And then when we surrender to Jesus, here's what happens. When we make that decision, the Bible tells us in Romans that in order to be saved, you must confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. That that God has raised him from the dead, believing that means that that you really believe he is who he said he was, the Son of God, a God in flesh sent to redeem humanity. You believe that truly in your heart because I want to warn you against what I call incomplete belief. The great um, revivalist and theologian John Wesley actually used some strange language, some strong language rather around this. He said it's possible to have what he called damning faith. And he's borrowing from what the scripture says that we could believe a lie and be cursed or the Bible says you can believe a lie and be damned. Now what, what that means, it's not in a slang way, that means you're cursed into separation from God. John Wesley talked about this kind of damning faith the where your faith is incomplete. That you might believe in your mind some certain things, but it doesn't mean you believe in your heart because if you believe in, in your heart, that Jesus is Lord. See, confessing Jesus is Lord is more than just saying the words. You have to really believe it. And if you believe it, then you're admitting Jesus is, and you're turning from your way to Jesus' way. All we like sheep have gone astray. But then the book of, of 1 Peter says that now we don't go away from the shepherd, but now you know we have turned from our old way and now we follow the shepherd of our souls, Jesus, the chief shepherd. So it's more than just saying the words. It's just more than saying, I believe, because you know what? Scripture tells us that the devil believes in God. Just believing that God exists isn't enough to save you. The devil even admits that Jesus is the way to God. So saying, oh, I believe that Jesus is the way to God is not enough to save you. I can tell you other things. Filling God's presence when you go to church doesn't mean you're saved. It just means that you're sensitive to the fact that God's around. Um, there, there are people that, for instance, the, uh, in, in the Old Testament, King Saul was on his way to kill David. And he got in the presence of God. And it was so powerful that he like passed out. And then he was just laying there kind of babbling in prophecies for like a day. Now, this was a powerful encounter. He wasn't saved. He got up after that, went trying to kill David again. So just being in the presence of God and sense of that doesn't mean you're saved. Jesus talks about people who do good deeds and do great miracles in his name. But he said, I never knew them. 
because he said, they'll say to me, Lord, Lord. And he said, but I'll say to them, I, depart from me. I don't know who you are. I don't know you. See, just saying he's Lord isn't enough. Another verse, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, but you don't do what I say? See, see, if Jesus is your Lord, see, the word Lord is an old word that actually means he's in charge. Now, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Man lived his life in obedience to God. Satan lured us away from God. In order to be saved, we literally return back to God's ways. We confess Jesus is Lord and we live our lives following him through his power. See, because here's what happens when you get saved. When you surrender to Jesus, and if you truly give up control of your life to Jesus, and you truly turn from your ways and say, Lord, and, and I'm not saying you'll be perfect from then on, but 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 as a believer, when you sin, a couple things happens. One is you start experiencing the discipline of God and he puts you back on the right path. And two, as a believer, when you sin, you begin, as you grow in the faith, you begin to hate your sin. Even when sin and you fall into sin, you, you develop a holy hate for your sin. And you're constantly returning to God and asking Him to deliver you from that sin. See, there's this big debate in, 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 the, in the Christian world today about, you know, can you be saved and just continue in sin? A lot of people say, and if you tell people, no, you should, you should turn from me, they'll say, you're judging me. Well, when Jesus said in John, uh, excuse me, Matthew 7, judge not, let you be judged. Jesus is talking about this condemning attitude, acting like everyone is worse than yourself, elevating yourself. And yeah, he, he absolutely says, you don't do that. But let me tell you what he wasn't saying. He was not saying that no one is ever allowed to say a certain action is a sin. That isn't what he was saying. Because Jesus went on to say, he went on to teach in the rest of Matthew 7, to be very careful and don't take people at face value. Don't just take them at their word, but see what their actions say. He said, you can actually tell, you can tell about a person's heart by their actions. What does that tell me? That if Jesus is my Lord, then my actions began following up. I might fail, but I pick up and I go back to following him. See, this decision, the, 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 the decision that you must make, to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead is more than just words you say. You're like, you really do have to trust Jesus. But if you do, what happens is, is that the Holy Spirit actually enters into you. He takes out your old, dead, stony heart. He puts a new heart in you. And then Jesus actually lives in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the book of Ezekiel says, when the Holy Spirit comes into you, then you can follow what God wants. Remember what it's always been about. It's been about God created us to live life a certain way. The devil has lured us away from that. Jesus came to bring us back to that. And if Jesus is your Lord, then you turn from your way and you surrender to his way. And after you're saved, after the Holy Spirit comes with you, you're born again. You have the right to be called a child of God. But I just want to say, it's more than saying the words, because the devil will admit that Jesus is the Son of God. The devil admits that there's a God. But let me tell you something that the devil will not do. Is he will not surrender his will to God. 
He's to fight against God. In the book of Acts, Peter explained that God has made Jesus Lord. Lord and Messiah. God has made him Lord. Now here's the thing. We either live our lives in submission to his lordship or in rebellion against him. Now to live our lives in submission to Jesus' lordship, many people see that as some horrible thing. No, when you realize that Jesus leads us to life, he leads us to the Father, that's a good thing to do. Even when it's temporarily difficult, you realize and you trust. See, it's not just words you say, but you trust that Jesus is who he said he was and that raising from the dead proved that he was the Son of God. So you come to him and you say, Son of God, I cannot save myself, but you have defeated death, hell, and the grave. Save me. And the Bible says when you surrender to his lordship, you turn from your ways to his way, then the Holy Spirit, his spirit will enter into you and you will be born again. And that's what I pray happens to you. Believer, if, if you confess faith in Jesus, let me encourage you as I'm wrapping up to examine your own life. To see if you're living in rebellion to God. If you're living in rebellion to God, that's a dangerous place for you to be. It either means perhaps you're not saved. You're never saved. You've never had the desires of God in you. Because if you're saved, if you're born again, new desires come in you. You have a desire for the Word of God, the family of God. You have a desire to more of God and less of sin. As I said a moment ago, you begin to hate sin in your life. It's not so much about hating other people and, and hating other sinners. You begin to hate sin in your own self. And you, and you keep coming to God and asking Him to deliver you from this power that sin has on you. To set you free. If, if you are saved, then you begin to have a desire to share the good news with others. You want to honor God. You want others to know about this good news. So I, I encourage you, believer to examine yourself, to make sure that there's evidence, proof that God is there. You have a hunger for God. You have a hunger for His Spirit. You have a hunger for His Word. You have a hunger for His family. You have a desire for holiness and to turn from sin. If not, perhaps Christ isn't in you. Submit to Him, turn to Him, and ask Him to save you. Now those of you who, who know you're not saved, you don't even confess to be saved. Let me, let me ask you, turn to Jesus. If you're not ready to in this moment, let me ask you, what's keeping you from that? In the final moments of this video, I'm going to say that often fear keeps us from God. Fear of what we'll expect of us. Fear of, let me, let me ask you to focus on loving Him. Look at Him. Look at Him. Get to know Him. Get to know Him for yourself. Read the book of John. Let Jesus speak to you for Himself. Get to know who He is. And I believe as you get to know Him, you begin to trust Him. Other people's shame keeps you from God. You just think, I've gone too far. Let me explain to you. We've all sinned and all of our, all of our righteousness is filthy rags. That God wants you home. God wants you born again as his son or daughter. Don't let shame keep you from that. 
some people's doubt keeps you. I really want to talk about that for a minute. If you have doubts that God exists, that Jesus is the only way to God, I'm not going to criticize you for having doubts. I can tell you we've all had our doubts. Let me challenge you. Let me challenge you with this. I feel it's kind of, maybe just kind of narrow-minded to have doubts and refuse to look for answers. To have questions. I meet people all the time. I just have questions. And they say, well, can we look for answers together? They don't want to look for answers. They just have the questions. What are those doubts and questions that's keeping you from trusting Jesus? Talk to somebody. Talk to someone who can help you find answers. Because you owe it to yourself to get this one figured out. Because if Jesus was, it was not true, if it's not true, then, you know, you, you, you know you, if it's not true, you have nothing to worry about, right? But if it is true, if there is any possibility that what Jesus said is true, you and I, everyone this planet, we have a real problem because if what Jesus said is true, we're all separated from God and we cannot save ourselves, but He can. So if those questions are keeping you from God, seek answers. And lastly, probably the biggest thing that keeps us from God is control. But the funny thing about control is, are we ever actually in control? I mean, think about it. What in your life are you truly in control of? Little to nothing. No matter what you think of, you, you're probably not even in control. You say, well, I'm in control of my job. Really? Like right now, many of us, I mean, we're in a, a situation worldwide. We're in a worldwide quarantine. Many people are in control of their job. There's record number of unemployment everywhere. Some people's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm in control of of uh, and they, they list these things. Like, you're not control. You, you can't even you can't even make yourself do the right things sometimes. You can't control. You're trying to control other people. You can't make them do the right things. It's very little you're in control of. Well, here's one thing you are in control of, and that is who's the Lord of your life. Are you going to keep living under this illusion that you're in control, or are you going to realize that control is only for God? And you say, Lord, I'm going to surrender to Your way. I'm going to surrender to Your will. I'm going to follow You. So let me encourage you. Fear is keeping you from God. Get to know Him for yourself. Shame is keeping you from God. That's just a lie from the devil. God wants you home. Even as that prodigal son came home and he was shame-filled and dirty, the father cleaned him up, put new clothes on him, threw a party for him. Questions and doubt keeping you from God. Search for answers. It's control keeping you from God. Are you really in control? So God created you as his daughter or son. All of us have separated ourselves from God and went our own way. But Jesus can bring us back. But we must turn from our way. And that's what it means to repent. Turn from our way and confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart. And that means we really do believe that he's Lord and our actions line up. So Jesus said, many say I'm Lord, but, but only those who do the will of the Father are really mine. So that is me. does that mean your works get you, get you saved? No, it means if you're really Jesus's, if you really belong to him, then you actually follow him and do what, you're, what the will of the Father. So it's important that you turn from your way and make that decision to say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner. 
And I have went my way away from God, away from you. But I believe Jesus is who he said he was. And he can bring me back to God. He can save me, rescue me from death, hell, and sin. And then you need to confess it with your mouth. You need to say it and really believe it in your heart. So right now, let me lead you in this prayer as we wrap up. Lord, we come to you and we admit. Now you pray in your own words. We admit, God, that our sin has separated ourselves from you. But God, we believe that Jesus has come and taught us the will, your will, and that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so right now, we confess Jesus is Lord. Say it to him right now. Jesus, you are Lord. I give you me. Enter into me. Cleanse me from my sins. Let me encourage you, even as this video ends, that some of you, you need to do some time with God. You need to confess. You need to get that out there. You need to get on your knees wherever you're at. You need to pull the car over. You need to get uh, whatever you need to do, and you need to have this conversation with God. And tell him that you admit that you have failed him and pour those sins out, pour those, pour those failures out to him. But then say, Jesus, I believe you can save me and you're my Lord. And Lord Jesus, right now, we believe that your Holy Spirit is entering into people's hearts right now as they turn from their sin and they confess that you're Lord. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Two things as I wrap up. One, three things as I wrap up. One, finish this prayer with get along with God admit your sin to him believe that Jesus is who he said he was and three confess it give your life fully to Jesus so that's what you need to do second you need to let someone else know that you're saved now and third let me encourage you to keep listening to stay focused because the next episode that I teach, there might be an interview after this one, but the next episode that I teach, I want to teach you what it means to live your life with Jesus in charge. Because what is a Christian? It's someone who believes that Jesus is who he said he was. It's someone who has turned from their way. And then third, they're living, doing the will of Jesus. So let me encourage you to catch the episode where I teach what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus. What does it mean to live life God's way? I hope this blessed you. I hope that this is this is an opportunity for you to start a new life. If you if you prayed this and you truly believe it, and the Holy Spirit enters into you, all of heaven is rejoicing. The angels are throwing a party because you are saved, and the Father is rejoicing. We want to rejoice with you as well. Message us. Let us know if you got saved, and we can show you how to take some next steps. Keep tuning in here, and we'll help you grow in the faith and let someone know that you are saved. God bless you.